Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first 2022 episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the new year, new running mates edition. This week, we're talking about the impact of January 6th, one year later, why 100 public schools are suing the state, the two new names in the race for Ohio's governor, and what Rob Portman testing positive for COVID tells us about the surge in cases. This week, I'm joined by our federal congressional reporter, Haley D. Miller. Welcome back, Haley. Good to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You have a good holiday? Yes, it was very relaxing. Got some much-needed time off. Watched a lot of Harry Potter. Oh, that's always good. It is good. I mean, they have some holiday scenes in there. I can see it as a good quasi-Christmas movie. Yeah, for sure. So one year ago, rioters attacked the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. Five people were killed, including a Capitol officer, and 38 Ohioans faced criminal charges. Six of them have since pled guilty. It was a moment that was shocking, but not surprising, at least to me. I think we caught glimpses of the pent-up anger and frustration people were feeling even before the 2020 election. If you look at protesters in Michigan and Ohio, for example, storming their state houses, But President Trump's loss in November really seemed to sort of focus and channel all that anger into one place. Absolutely. And a lot of it was fueled by just rampant misinformation between Election Day and January 6th. Um, Obviously, Trump himself was peddling a lot of the claims that he actually won the election, which we know to not be true. And so, you know, that pent up anger that you mentioned was sort of fueled by that and culminated in the violence and the chaos that we saw that day. Yeah. And speaking of, of that misinformation, you know, the Republican Party, even, um, you know, folks here in Ohio have sort of shifted in their interpretation of January 6th. Um, you know, if you look at Bernie Moreno, the Cleveland businessman who is running in the primary here to be a U.S. senator, he called on his fellow Republicans to accept the result of the election on January 6th and sort of like a unity Twitter message. And, you know, he wrote that, yeah, sure, maybe there were some illegal votes cast, but it wasn't close enough to change the result. But then he deleted those tweets. And now he's got a new campaign ad where he basically looks in the camera and says uh, President Trump says the election was stolen. And he's right. Deleted tweets really are the homework of the Senate race. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's symptomatic of this idea that, you know, Republicans really had two paths that they could chart after January 6th on the one hand. You know, they could condemn what they saw, condemn Trump. On the other hand, they could just really double down on their support for him and continue to keep him at the forefront of the party. And that's what they did. For the most part, you see people like Anthony Gonzalez, who didn't and who are now no longer running for re-election. So what we see from Bernie Moreno, Josh Mandel is sort of piggybacking on this sentiment that, you know, the election was illegitimate as a way to curry favor with Trump and his supporters. So you weren't a part of our team yet, but you were covering politics that day. Do you remember like what you were doing or like, like for me, I was at home since we were still working remotely. And I remember my husband and I had this debate of like, I wanted to watch the coverage, but I didn't want my kids to see it. Yeah, I was working from home as well. And I started out the day just, you know, kind of doing my normal job, had the TV on in the background. And then at some point, I realized this was something I needed to start paying attention to. And in a like a work way, I ended up talking to I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. At that point, I ended up talking to 
our Republican congressman while he was still in his office that day. It was just, um, yeah, very, very shocking, very disorienting day. Yeah, for us here in Ohio, we started calling our congressional delegation, trying to figure out, you know, are they safe? Because, you know, there was that period of time where we didn't know if they'd gotten access to any of the, like, congressional delegation or any of the congresspeople. Like, I mean, we just knew there were rioters in the Capitol, and there was a a concern, I think, even among the lawmakers that, like, if they got a hold of us, like, it could have been a lot deadlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And, you know, they certainly have... A lot of people have the Capitol Police to thank for the heroic work they did that day. Yeah. So our second story um, is about a lawsuit. 100 Ohio schools have put together a coalition, and they're suing the state over its EdChoice scholarships program. These are basically school vouchers or checks that parents take to private schools to cover some or all of the tuition. The program started out as a way to help kids in what Ohio called failing schools, but now more than half of all students qualify for a voucher. The schools say this is unconstitutional because the state is supposed to secure a system of common schools, and this creates multiple school systems. But school choice folks say this would be wildly disruptive to the 50,000 kids who currently get these scholarships, and that courts across the country have upheld vouchers in the past. This lawsuit seems to me at least like a culmination of just years and years of frustration over school vouchers and whether they're hurting public schools. I mean, I feel like this is a political debate that's just been going on and on and on. Yeah, and I think Ohio has a pretty expansive voucher system, um, and that's probably part of the reason why they're using this as like a test case. And it's also because Ohio has some pretty explicit um, constitutional requirements when it comes to schools. So it is secure a system of common schools. And actually, um, for those who've been in Ohio politics for a long time, uh, the state actually lost a lawsuit um, a couple decades ago. It was called DeRolf. And um, what the court said was an over-reliance on property taxes created an unequal system of the schools and the state had to get its act together. Wow. So what's your sense at this point of, you know, the timeline and whether, you know, the voucher program is at any serious risk here? <laughs> Well, I uh, I joked that my daughter is a first grader and she may be graduated and in college by the time this is resolved. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> no, um, they are the they're thinking three to four years to reach like a verdict in the Ohio Supreme Court. They're sort of practical about the time that this will take, um, but there is a quirk there asking for what's called an injunction. So, and that is they went to the Franklin County. Court of Common Pleas, and they're asking the judge to sort of hit pause on the voucher system while this court case is being litigated. They have a couple of kids who are specifically named in the lawsuit from different schools and says they're being directly harmed, so we should hit pause. I think it's probably unlikely that that'll happen, but never say never. But theoretically, you know, sometime this year, a Franklin County judge could basically stop the Ed Choice program, which would be wild. And, but you know, if the last couple of years in political coverage has taught me anything is never say never. Yeah. I mean, wherever you stand on the school voucher debate, I think it's fair to say that, you know, if a judge suddenly halted this program, that would be disruptive and leave a lot of, you know, schools and students kind of wondering what's next. Yeah. There are some private schools and you can argue whether this is right or wrong, but there are some private schools here in Ohio that like where 70, 80, 90% of their kids are at choice scholarship kids. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can see the closure of private schools if this were stopped. Now, 
I mean, you know, the, these, the public schools who are suing point to that as proof of the problem with the system. But I mean, for those kids, it would be wildly disruptive to their lives. I mean, is there a middle ground here? Have lawmakers been considering ways to adjust the program, or does, do Republicans just not have an interest in that? Um, uh, most Republicans seem to be of the philosophy that more school choice is better. There is a bill to make universal voucher a thing here in Ohio, so any kid could take it to any school. Um, but I think, you know, the school choice folks say, like, they didn't challenge the Cleveland scholarship. They didn't challenge the autism scholarship. They didn't challenge the special needs scholarships. They sort of were saying, you know, smaller, more targeted voucher programs could fit within Ohio's system. It's just the expansive nature of our current program that rises to the level of unconstitutionality, which I think is sort of an interesting argument to make that, like, these could be an add-on to the system, but when, like, half the kids in Ohio qualify, that's, like, tuition reimbursement, in their opinion. Got it. So we'll see. And it's a new year, and we have two new names in the race for Ohio's governor. The two Democrats hoping to unseat Mike DeWine announced their picks for lieutenant governor. So Nan Whaley, she's the former mayor of Dayton. She's running to be the governor. And she picked Cuyahoga County Council Vice President Cheryl Stevens. Former Cincinnati Mayor John Cranley picked State Senator Teresa Fetter. And, well, you know, I love that joke about the American vice presidency, that it's not worth a warm bucket of spit. And so, I don't know, do you think running mates matter generally? Do you think these in particular matter? I don't know. I don't want to say the position of lieutenant governor means nothing, but it certainly is... It is kind of like the American vice presidency in a way, and in an election, I'm not sure that people are going to be casting their ballots based on someone's lieutenant governor pick. What I found interesting about this was that, you know, they decided not to combine forces, which is something that, you know, certainly could have happened. You know, they could have decided to avoid a Democratic primary and be on each other's ticket, but I think it was uh, Whaley who made the, a comment, you know, suggesting Cranley should maybe seek out some down-ticket races. <laughs> so it doesn't, doesn't seem like there's much love between the two of them in terms of wanting to be allies at this point. Yeah, um, you know, the primary is until May, so there's still time for things to change, but, I mean, they announced their lieutenant governor pick, so I think even if one of them drops out, I don't see them combining into a single ticket at this point. I did think it was, you know, it's interesting that um, the Whaley ticket, the Whaley-Stevens ticket, they're both local government officials. Like, neither one of them has held, like, a state government office. Yeah, and I think that brings a different perspective and certainly a valuable one to a state office, having state and local governments obviously work very closely together. And I think if you have an understanding of how local government works, that could certainly benefit you in a statewide role. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see how that all shakes out or whether the primary will even be in May. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's a whole other topic on redistricting that we've covered in the past and we're not going to get into right now. But our final topic is COVID because we're going to end on a high note. Well, I guess it's a high note if you look at the trend line of positivity. So, and if you've been looking at any of the charts tracking positive cases, they're starting to look more like that straight line. Hospitals around the state are understaffed. DeWine has sent in the National Guard. And it seems like everyone I know is testing positive, even Senator Rob Portman. Yeah, he announced 
earlier this week that he had tested positive. He did receive a COVID booster, um, so he's fully, fully vaccinated, and he said he was feeling fine um, and, you know, not the first Ohio lawmaker to get COVID, but, you know, just a reminder of how this really is affecting everyone at this point, even the vaccinated. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we don't know for sure, but it looks like Portman caught it over the holidays, and I think that's true of a lot of folks. You know, you got together with friends, you got together with family, and it just seems like it caused a real spike in cases. Yeah, and I think, you know, before and after the holidays, also people have been scrambling, often unsuccessfully, to find tests because there's been a shortage of at-home tests. You know, I know I personally have had a hard time finding them at times. President Biden has said that they'll be going out soon to any American who wants them. But a lot of people have, you know, sort of said, where were you a few months ago? We've needed this for a while. So... Yeah, I thought it was wild when the CDC announced their new quarantine guidelines. They said you don't have to test to get out of quarantine. And I think that's sort of an admission that we just don't have the tests. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing before you go. If you're wondering what kind of vanity license plates get rejected by the BMV in 2021, Haley put them all together in one place. My personal favorite was the Greta FU, because I really want to know what Greta did to that person that they wanted to pay money to drive around for, like, years insulting her. Yeah, there were some colorful ones in there. Not a lot of love for Biden, a lot of um, (laughs) F Biden, F Joe variations of that. Yes, that as well. Um, And then just your classic gross references to genitalia and drug dealer references. Yep. Yeah. And if you guys have a favorite, feel free to tweet it at us um, at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Lancaster Eagle Gazette.